as we continue the summer sermon series through major events in the Old Testament, I invite you to open your Bible or one of the pew Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 32. Now, the entirety of Exodus 32 is about the golden calf. And there are multiple sermons which could be preached from these 35 verses. But I have decided today to read only verses 1 through 14 and to preach only one sermon. I leave it to you to complete the reading of Exodus 32 this afternoon in your further observance of the Lord's day, all day, in grateful obedience to God according to the fourth commandment. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Our most gracious heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your goodness, for your love for us, for your mighty power in your son Jesus Christ to bear our sins, to die for us and rise again for our salvation. In his name we pray for the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us. Visit us, we pray. Open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts that we might receive your word. Be renewed in faith to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Let us hear the word of God, Exodus 32, beginning verse 1. When the people, the Israelites, who had come out of Egypt, saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he fashioned the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down. For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. 
And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on his people. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory forever and ever. Amen. Our theological forebear, John Calvin, wrote, Man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols, end quote. That is to say, in our fallen nature, we are by, we are by nature idolaters. Now, I say that at the outset of this sermon in order to make it clear that this account of the ancient Israelites' worship of the golden calf is not merely a bizarre story reflecting a primitive religious ceremony. It is about us, you and me. It is about us in our fallen human condition which perpetually inclines us all toward idolatry in one way or another. In his little book, Counterfeit Gods, which I highly recommend, the late Dr. Timothy Keller defines an idol this way. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. That bears repeating. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Keller continues, a counterfeit God, an idol, can be family and children or career and making money or achievement and fame or social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill in what you do, athletic ability, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in Christian ministry. 
I put one of Tim Keller's quotes on the front panel of the bulletin so that you could take it home and think about it. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel that my life has meaning. Then I'll know that I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. And here's the bad news. Another quote from Tim Keller. An idol will always break your heart because no created thing, no created thing can bear the freight of your deepest hopes and the weight of your soul's longings. No created thing can bear the freight of your deepest hopes and the weight of your soul's longings. Idols will always break your heart. In other words, idolatry is about looking for love, eternal love, infinite love, unfailing love, soul-satisfying love in all the wrong places. Well, with that as our introduction, let's turn now to the account of the golden calf. The larger context is very important. Last Sunday, Pastor Jonathan led us in a a sweeping survey of Exodus chapters 1 through 14, leading up to and culminating in the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. And in that sermon, we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you must get this point. The Israelites' exodus from Egypt is all about our salvation through Jesus Christ. He is the true Passover lamb, slain to set us free from the bondage of Satan, slavery to sin, and the oppression of death and hell. But then a lot takes place between the Exodus, chapter 14, and the worship of the golden calf in chapter 32. After the Exodus, under the leadership of Moses, the Israelites began their journey through the wilderness to the promised land. And then after some passage of time, Moses and the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai. At Exodus 19.16, we read, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. It was a terrifying moment. And then at Exodus 20, verse 1, we read, God spoke all these words, the Ten Commandments. God spoke the Ten Commandments to the Israelites to teach them how to live in grateful obedience to him who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Now, the incident of the golden calf is directly related to the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. 
After God spoke the Ten Commandments to the people, Moses went up again on Mount Sinai, Exodus 25. And he was there 40 days and 40 nights. What was he doing? Well, Moses was receiving precise instructions from God about, number one, the establishment of the Israelite priesthood, which would lead the people in worship, and about, number two, the construction of the tabernacle in which God would be worshiped, and number three, about the sacred altar upon which sacrifices to God were to be offered. In other words, Moses was receiving God's precise instructions about how he was to be worshiped. God was revealing to Moses the right and proper way for his redeemed people to worship him. From Exodus 25 to 31. And meanwhile, now, down at the base of Mount Sinai, what was happening? What was happening? Worship. The Israelites were having a worship service. It was very exciting worship. It was very zealous worship. It was powerful worship. It was exciting. It was very entertaining worship. But it was idolatrous worship. You see the irony here? At some point during Moses' 40 days up on Mount Sinai, the Israelites got impatient. Where's Moses? What's taking so long? What's he doing up there? They ganged up and said to Moses' brother Aaron, the first priest of Old Testament Israel, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this man Moses, we do not know what has become of him. Yeah, he brought us through the Red Sea, but what has he done for us lately? They were ready to move on to the promised land, but they wanted gods to lead them, to prosper them, provide for them, protect them, and empower them. The Israelites had learned about many gods in Egypt. One in particular was the bull god, Opsis. This bull god, Opsis, was a fertility god responsible for the propagation of herds and the grain of the land. Now mark that, he was a fertility god, that's important. And obviously a bull god would also be associated with power. Ah, that's important. And the bull, the calf that Aaron crafted for the people was covered with gold. With the jewelry melted down the jewelry which the Israelites had plundered from the Egyptians as they left Egypt. So think about it. There in this golden calf, you have the representation of three, perhaps the primary three idols throughout human history to this very day. Sex, Money and power. A trinity 
of counterfeit gods all in one golden calf. The Israelites wanted a God to worship, but a God who was a dumb ox who could not speak, who could not give commands, who could not threaten judgment. A God whom they could worship as they pleased, but to whom they had no moral accountability. Think about it. And let's consider a few points. Let's consider the fact that the Apostle Paul referred to this very passage, the golden calf, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Paul is making a direct quote from Exodus 32, 6 about those Israelites. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And then the Apostle Paul comments, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 died in a single day. What's the connection? Well, the connection is this. That phrase, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, has sexual overtones as in fertility god worship, as in, sorry, an orgy. When Joshua met Moses on the way down the mountain, he said, I hear the noise of war in the camp. And Moses replied, hmm, that's not the sound of war. That's the sound of a wild party. That's a sound of wild worship. So you see how quickly the Israelites forgot the sovereign, saving, free grace and power of the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see how quickly they broke those commandments which they had vowed to keep. In their worship of the golden calf, they broke not only the first two commandments, but also the seventh. You shall not commit adultery. All three were involved in that so-called worship service. Now, may I ask you, is there fertility God worship in America today? Is sex a counterfeit God? <laughs> to ask the question is to answer it. The sexual revolution drives everything in America today, from athletics to the White House, from beer to public education, from the media to the military, and all points in between. 
What exactly did the United States Department of Defense spokesman, John Kirby, mean when he said this past Monday, what did he mean when he said that it was a, quote, sacred obligation? Quote, sacred obligation of the Department of Defense to pay for abortions for members of the armed services. A sacred obligation. What God does the United States Department of Defense now worship? Child sacrifice is quite often associated with fertility cults. That's paradoxical, but it's historically true. And we could go on and on, but we won't. But read Romans 1 this afternoon, and you will see that idolatry leads to immorality. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul draws a straight line connecting idolatry, the worship of the creature, instead of the creator. A straight line connecting idolatry to sexual immorality of the most vile and demented sort, which is now promoted in America today. And let me ask you, now, after 60 years of the sexual revolution in America, with all the so-called sexual liberation and sexual anarchy which abounds today, where is the happiness? Where is the personal fulfillment? Where is the, where is the freedom which this counterfeit God promised us? Instead, it has given us broken relationships, broken homes, broken dreams, broken bodies, broken lives. An idol will always break your heart. Parents, teach your children well in 21st century America. Moving on, we all are familiar with the counterfeit God of money, but we usually think of this as an idolatry that has to do only with people who have more money than we do. <laughs> ah, how self-deceived can we be? Anybody here today who thinks that you'd be a little happier, a little more secure, well, maybe a little more generous if, if you had as much as he does. <laughs> the 10th commandment is you shall not covet. That's a secret sin hidden in our hearts. Nobody can see it except God. And in his word in Colossians 3, 5, God says that covetousness is idolatry. So now that's commandments 1, 2, 7, and 10 covered by the golden calf. And the really sad thing is that when we bow down to the God of gold and look to our bank account for our happiness and our security and our 
personal esteem, I'm feeling good about myself, we quickly learn that enough is never enough. An idol will always break your heart. The counterfeit God of power hardly needs commenting upon, but whether it is a matter of ungodly power wielded in an abusive personal relationship or by a totalitarian government oppressing its people or a nation built, bent on military aggression or a cancel culture seeking to silence free speech, this counterfeit God is seen as the deity which rules over all might makes right. And of course, in very real and practical ways, ungodly power is often financed by wealth and goes hand in hand with sexual immorality. But we see it every day. When power becomes the be-all, end-all passion of a person's life, sooner or later, that counterfeit God will ultimately destroy the one who worships it. Evil will always destroy itself, and an idol will always break your heart and leave that person alone, abandoned, and defeated. Now, in the brief time I have remaining, I, I want to make a few other practical applications. The golden calf incident is important through the Bible and into the New Testament. It, it is referenced in Psalm 106. Listen to this. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Psalm 106. They, ex they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. That's how detestable any idolatry is. Think about what an abominable offense to Almighty God it is when we worship anything in this world instead of Him, the Creator, when we give glory to anything other than God. And the incident was also referred to by Stephen, the New Testament deacon, in his speech to the authorities, which resulted in his being stoned to death. Stephen said of those ancient Israelites, they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Acts chapter 7. Rejoicing in the works of their hands instead of rejoicing in the work of God's almighty hand for their salvation. What about you and me? In what do we really rejoice? And the thing about the works of our hands is, is well, listen to Psalm 115. Listen carefully. These idols have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So do all who trust in them 
become like these lifeless idols. In other words, these idols made by human hands look like living creatures, but they aren't. They are lifeless. They have no real personal relationship to anyone. And all those who trust in them become like them. So get the picture in your mind of the family in the restaurant, father, mother, two children, all on their handmade devices. They don't know how to be human anymore. They have no life in their personal relationships. Don't be that family. Ever been around a child who's addicted to a digital device? Can he really see another person? Can she really hear another person? Can he or she really speak appropriately to another person? It's just something to think about in 21st century America. Now, it it may be debatable about whether these devices are actually idols, but there is no debate about the power and control we let them exert over our lives. So what's the difference? If we say that we believe that the one and only true and living God is the source of all true happiness, the fountain of everlasting blessing, the rock of our security, the foundation of our eternal soul, then what about, what, what about the counterfeit God? What about the counterfeit God who commands? Commands. What about, what about the counterfeit God who commands our children to play organized sports on Sunday so that they and their parents cannot worship the true and living God with their family, their church family, in the presence of God with his people on the Sabbath day to sing his praise and hear his word. That's not a snarky question. That's not a snarky question. It's a serious question. It's a serious question. What do we believe? In whom do we believe? Which God is the God who will truly bless our children? Let the question do its own work in your conscience. In 21st century America. One last application. 
What is a husband saying when he says, well, I'm just not happy anymore? What is a wife saying when she says, he's just not meeting my needs? What, what is a married couple saying when they say, well, it, it just didn't work out. We're, we, we're not right for each other. Now listen, I know, I know that all marriages, I know that all marriages have their issues and challenges. If you need help, get the help you need and get it fast and we're here to help you get the help you need but the point right now is this if your spouse is your counterfeit God if your spouse is the one to whom you look and upon whom you depend for your perfect happiness and perfect satisfaction in life. If your spouse is the one to whom you look and upon whom you depend to make everything right, just remember, no created thing, no created thing, not even your spouse, can bear the freight of your deepest hopes and the weight of your soul's longings. Your spouse is not God. Don't make him or her your counterfeit God. Don't go looking for infinite, unfailing, everlasting, completely soul-satisfying love even from your spouse because an idol will always break your heart. So, where are you going to go looking for love? Where can you find a God who is everything he says he is and who will fulfill every promise he has made and can secure your soul against every storm in this world and can fill your heart with the happiness of heaven forever? Where are you going to go looking for that love? Do you realize that when Jesus was dying on the cross for you because you have broken every single one of God's commandments, when he was dying on the cross for you, he was mocked as a counterfeit God. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Ah, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. 
Jesus was mocked and ridiculed as a counterfeit God. But he didn't come down from the cross. He didn't save himself. He willingly died so that you and I could be saved from all our idolatry and be set free from the tyranny of the counterfeit gods of this world. And did you hear in this passage how Moses interposed himself as a mediator between God and his people? Beseeching God on behalf of the covenant which he had made not to blot out this people. And it occurs again later in Exodus 32. Moses, the mediator of the old covenant, pleads with the Lord not to blot out his people and in fact says, blot me out. Well, do you see? Do you see? Yes, Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus, the new Moses, the true Moses. He was blotted out. He was blotted out by the wrath of God so that you and I would not be blotted out and perish forever. Will you have Jesus Christ to be your mediator, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, truly God, truly man, who for our sake and our salvation placed himself on a cross between the wrath of God against idolaters. so that he would be blotted out in our place and not we under the wrath of God. And he rose from the dead on the third day, victorious. He is our exodus, the Passover lamb raised in victory so that in union with him through faith, we might share in that victory and have life everlasting in communion with the one and only true and living God now and forevermore. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, and your faithfulness to the word of the gospel in him. Grant us grace, dear Lord, that we may truly believe, truly repent, and truly follow Jesus now and forever. To the glory of your name, amen. In response... To the gospel of our Savior, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together from chapter 1, the Scots Confession of 1560, one of our historic Presbyterian foundational documents. Christians, in whom do you believe? We confess and acknowledge one God alone, the 
Eternal wisdom, goodness, 